So we're here today with Andy Healy, who's a content strategist and UX lead at Shopify. Andy, thanks for joining me. Thank you for having me. It's good to be here. Now, you're joining us from Montreal in Canada. How are things there at the moment? Uh, how are things in Montreal? Very warm. Um, we're having some heat warnings at the minute. So up in the, in, I've got no idea what warm is by Australian standards. I was going to um, ask, yes. Uh, but by my English standards, it's very warm. I think we're up to over 40 degrees um, Celsius. Again, I assume yes. you're on Celsius, not Fahrenheit. Yes. Um, we're obviously going through lots of interesting times, as everyone else is. We're yeah. locked out, and uh, in the last week, wearing face masks has started to become compulsory. So, okay. lots of change at the moment. Yeah, those conditions will be pretty familiar with everybody listening. I, I think we've recently shifted in Australia in, in two of our major cities in Sydney and Melbourne back to more of a restricted stance, um, having just started to open up. Uh, so like other parts of the world, we're, we're going back into that, uh, that lockdown scenario. It's a little more strict in, in Melbourne than it is in Sydney, but I think everyone's, everyone's feeling a little bit deflated as a result that we we seem to be going backwards rather than forwards at the moment yeah but that's uh it's uh nice that you're enjoying warm weather it's certainly not uh warm here in australia given that it's our winter but um i'm glad you're you're able to enjoy it <laughs> now you're with shopify um a lot of us a lot of us will be engaging on fairly regular basis with shopify websites how are things going for the company and, and how are things going with the UX team there? Um, in a one word answer, good. Um, so obviously it's very interesting times in the e-commerce world. Um, I think it was towards the end of last year, maybe early this year, we announced that we had over 1 million merchants we were using Shopify stores. Um, I'm not sure of the exact percentages of growth um, over the last six months or so, um, but obviously a huge number of stores are now moving either partially online or fully online, just mm -hmm. because of the situation. We have no choice in that. Um, so Shopify, you know, we've torn up a lot of our roadmaps this year. Um, we had all these strategic plans, mm -hmm. and we've realised that there were huge amounts of things that we could do to make an immediate impact to people who were making significant changes to their business. Um, as one example, we introduced the option for people to do to give tips when they're checking out from a store. So, for example, so for example, we were encouraging uh, restaurants to open their own online store, and people could then leave a tip for them, which we didn't have as a, a core feature before. Uh, we've introduced local pickup, so people were able to go and collect things from the store, that kind of thing. So, okay. yeah, we, we're focused on doing a lot of what we can to help merchants who are either struggling at this time or are just trying to change the way that their business functions. Because that's a little bit of a shift. I mean, you know, going back 20 years when we went through that sort of first wave of uh, e-commerce and that first sort of wave of moving things online, one of, the, one of the key opportunities that existed, I guess, was that you could sell to anybody anywhere. Um, yeah. Whereas what we seem to be seeing is a lot of stores... Um, be it retail or otherwise, who were saying we need to continue to find ways to service 
our local customers, people who live a block away or five blocks away or, you know, one suburb over who are now, long, now no longer allowed out of their home or it's too risky or it's too risky for us to deliver to them. Um, that's, a, that's a really interesting shift. Yeah, exactly. And I, th I think a lot of it stems from the kind of sense of community that a lot of people are feeling now. Um, mm -hmm. Obviously, there's always going to be a place in the world for Amazon and people will always buy certain things from Amazon. Yep. But a lot of people kind of, they see that their local store that was around the corner isn't open anymore mm -hmm. and they want to do what they can to support these, this like community that they've got around. So a lot yeah. of people are kind of trying to focus their buying by buying locally. Um, We've, we've actually launched an app as well, which kind of helps people to find stores that are local to them, so they can okay. identify. So that would be the online equivalent of walking to the local sort of uh, village or, you know, sort of cluster of, of shops. How's that going? Uh, yeah. it, it's really cool. Um, so it's, um, I, I actually, I'll probably talk about this um, when we're at um, yeah, Australia, but mm. it's a, an app that, we used to have uh, several apps and we've merged them into one called the shop app. Um, so it helps you to check out really quickly. It then helps you to track your order. And we added new functionality so that there's a kind of map where you can just see all the local stores that you might be interested in okay. and just have a big look at them to go through. So it's, it's pretty cool. When you, when I open it up here, it opens up with maybe 50 stores that are within walking distance, wow. you know, local stores that sell clothes or whatever. Yeah, wow, which is great. It's a nice, I, I, we've certainly seen that attitude um, here. Um, I know that I see a lot more people and partly because we're stuck at home anyway, um, yeah. we're still sort of largely working uh, out of our homes in a lot of cases. In Sydney, at least, we're able to get on public transport and we're able to go into the office but there's a great deal of hesitancy to do so i think people are you know staying closer to home uh, yeah. as as a result we're we're seeing those stores that aren't open um and you know like my local grocery store you know sells fruit and vegetables he's open yeah. um but the store next to him on either side they've both closed so and you're I, th I think a lot of us will be more aware of the impact that this is happening on that local um you know those those local shops that's a great yeah. that's a great initiative yeah and i've got i've actually got a personal story i've got a friend in england who i think he used to be a music executive at apple or something like that um anyway he, he contacted me earlier this year saying how do I set up a store? I want to do this and this and this. So I put him in touch with our support team and didn't hear any more back from him until two months later, he posted up on Facebook, hey, everyone would open this local marketplace for all the market stores that aren't able to open in London. So it's really cool yeah, to see wow. how it's directly affecting people that I know back home. So. Yeah, that's lovely. Now, you mentioned your talk at UX Australia. Um, yes. I, I, I have to ask, where... Where do 19th century philosophers fit into UX? I, I, I'm, I'm fascinated by that connection. Well, I mean, I won't give the whole talk away. No. I don't give it to you. It was, um, it's kind of an interesting story. So I joined Shopify, it's probably about two and a half years ago now. Um, 
and one of the things that I was always not good at was public speaking. Um, I'm naturally an introvert and thought standing from people terrified me. I spoke at a conference once before Shopify and it was like the singular worst experience of my life and I swore I'd never do it again. Okay. But then when I joined Shopify, um, I realized that I, I just needed to get better at it. Like a, a large part of UX is presenting your work to colleagues or yes, in peer review. You need to be confident at speaking in front of people. So I was chatting with my lead and he said, oh, wh why don't you uh, speak at the next internal Shopify summit? Okay. I said, okay, yeah, I can work towards that, thinking he meant the one next year, but he actually meant the one that was in three months' time. Um, so I was like, okay, I'll, I'll tick the box, I'll submit a proposal, see how that goes. And it, it was something I'd been thinking about for a while. Um, just pulling in, like I studied philosophy at university and it kind of broke me for a long time, philosophy. Um, <laughs> made me really unable to have a strong opinion on anything because I knew that there'd always be a counter-argument. Sure. Um, so I kind of thought about how that could fit into UX and about how we need to make these, have strong decisions, uh, make fast decisions, have strong opinions. Yep. And I kind of, I kind of wrote, wrote a proposal for talking, okay, I've done the proposal, tick the box, and then obviously it got accepted. Okay. So I then had to go from a like, six-line proposal through to a full 15, 20-minute talk in six weeks. Yeah. Um, and it, it, it went good. So that kind of got me over my fear of public speaking. Nice. So thanks to the philosophers. Nice. It's, a, it's, it's an, an interesting process, um, sort of thinking through what you're going to say and what you want the audience to take away. I mean, it's a great way to learn. Um, you know, when you deliver a talk that's 15 or 20 minutes, it probably translates into a 15 to 2,500 word essay. That's yeah. essentially, essentially what it sort of um, boils yeah. down to. And that's like when you read a 2,500 word article or, or an essay, it's actually a pretty substantial um, body of work that someone's putting yeah. forward. You know, a 45 minute talk is obviously twice as twice as much. And although we tend to use case studies and that kind of thing, so it's not quite in the same sort of uh, vein. But it's it's an interesting exercise I always find to go through that process of well, how do I how do I structure this into something that's informative, engaging, um, you know. It's, it's yeah, interesting yeah, yeah. for me, uh, yeah. Exactly, I mean, I watched, I don't know how many talks I watched whilst putting mine together, um, because I knew, it, I knew that personally it was such a big deal for me to get this right, but also I was presenting in front of 400 Shopify UXs and I'd only been there right. for three or four months. Um, okay. So it, it was kind of a big deal to me, um, so I spent, a lot of time looking into it, but we were really fortunate that everyone speaking at the summit um, was given speak coaching. So we had a professional uh, yeah. speaker coach a couple of times, and we also got weekly check-ins with like the leadership team. So we, we had a lot of support in putting it together, um, which which in the long run was super useful because it gave us all that confidence at, at, to use their experience as well. Because a lot of the people who were supporting, you know, the VP of UX at Shopify, I spoke with her three or four times. So yeah. you speak with all these senior people who have been speaking at conferences and whatever for a long time. So you get to draw on all this, their, their experience. So it, it was really good to do. Yeah. We, um, 
we have a, a relationship or a, a role in Sydney, um, and like my design studio, Melt, Melt Studios. Um, yeah. It acts as a mentor for a group of Danish architecture students who come to mm-hmm. Australia each year. And we've been doing it for the last sort of five years. Um, but, and, and they do this sort of collaborative project with architects and engineers and the Sydney Opera House. Um, yeah. But one of the things that we sort of spend quite a bit of time with with them is preparing for their presentations. They do two presentations in the course of their six-week program um, and helping them tell their story, present their ideas. Um, as architects, it's actually not something that they get a lot of training on. Um, yeah. The ideas, yes, but the speaking about them, no. Um, yeah. And so, like, going through that process of just, you know, we, we tend to spend a few days in the lead-up to their presentation making sure that they've got just, you know, what's the point? What's the story that you're trying to tell? Does it have a good narrative structure? I mean, those are the sort of key things that we work with them to actually put forward um, so that the strength of the idea can actually come through. People aren't getting lost in, in amongst it. Yeah, that's interesting. I, I recently worked with um, a thing called Technovation, which mm-hmm. I don't know if you know it or not. It's um, a program that encourages teenage girls to get into technology. So okay. they set, and it's a global thing. There's thousands of kids involved, mm. and they set them in small teams of, uh, say, four to six or seven, and get them to build an app. And they have a mentor through this whole process. That's wonderful. One of the key things they have is um, they have to pitch. Or, so in the pre-lockup, they used to have to go in and pitch to judges. Yeah. Now they had to put together a little two or three minute video that okay. explained their app, explained the problems it was solving. Mm-hmm. But none of them, or, you know, the vast majority, I'm sure you can imagine, hadn't done that much speaking before, certainly hadn't made videos about yeah. apps. So I, along with, I don't know how many, probably hundreds of people around the world, acted as a speaking coach for them. So we'd meet up with them once a week and just talk through the project they were working on and see how they could make a nice presentation. That's after. great. Yeah, that's great. So I guess like as we go more and more online, then this is going to be more of a thing, like a lot more people going to be. Yeah. And I think one of the great things uh, that we're seeing at the moment is that those collaborations can take place anywhere and between yeah. any group of people. Um, we, you know, I, I, right before this call, I sent a, an email um, off to uh, a, a colleague to talk about a piece of work that we'd like them to help us with. Um, they're in Mexico. Mm-hmm. So, we, and, and it's just, they're going to be good for the work and I, I think they're available. So I'm reaching out to them to do this piece of work. Now, yeah. The rest of the team will be in Australia in different time zones in Australia. They're going to be in Mexico. So part of my question was, can you shift your working hours to overlap with us a little bit more? Because like right at the moment, it's morning in in Australia, but it's evening in Mexico. Um, Would that work for them? But the fact that they're in Mexico itself is not an issue any longer. We're all going to be collaborating through the screen. So let's find ways to actually collaborate geographically dispersed yeah. ways. So the opportunities yeah. are wonderful for this sort of thing. Yeah, and, and for UX and you know anyone working in tech, I mean, Shopify, 
probably a month and a half ago, two, two months ago, announced that we were now going digital by default. Mm. Um, so effectively, there's no going back to the office for us. Most people, especially in okay. R&D, will be working from home permanently. Um, okay. Obviously, lots of different reactions to that because yeah. you know, some people don't want that. They've yep. got kids, they want to escape to the office. Yep. Other people, the social aspects of being in the office. Yep. Um, some of us are very happy to be at home, but whatever your outlook on it, the situation is still the same. That all the whiteboarding that you used to do in, with your UX friends, you've now got to find ways to do that online. All That's the reviews right. we use in person, it's all online. So yep. th there's a lot of challenges. Um, but it's yeah. a good opportunity as well to, to find better ways of working. And look, that, that issue of um, how best to describe it, sort of ambient socialising that takes place in an office environment where you're co-located with other people or in a studio environment where you're co-located with other people is, I think, one of the great opportunities for collaborative tools and, and you know, like tools like Zoom and, and Microsoft Teams and, and a variety of others. Um, how do you allow people to have those um, accidental interactions with people, um, those ad hoc interactions with people that provide for those um, social connections, for those little moments of engagement, for the collaboration of ideas um, and the firing off one another that can take place when you're casually talking to somebody um, not in a formal collaboration session, right? Yeah. Um, and we, we have 20 people at MELT, and at the moment we have 20 studios, effectively, um, even though I'm still paying for a couple of studio spaces. That, for us, is one of those things that we're still trying to get a handle on, is how do we maintain a sense of those social connections um, when we're digitally dispersed like this. Yeah, yeah. And it, it feels at the moment, perhaps unsurprisingly, I guess, but we're doing lots of workarounds to these things. Like we're forcing ourselves to have weekly hangouts that we call coffee chats where we don't talk about work. Yep. Or we're in a lot more Slack groups than we used to be in. Right. So there's all these things that are kind of workarounds, but they're not the same. And no. it's going to be interesting to see if we do find something that is an adequate replacement or it just ends up being different. And yeah. I don't, I have no idea which way it's going to go. No, no, me neither. I look forward to hearing more about it. Andy, that's all we have time for today. I really appreciate your time. We look forward to hearing more about your talk topic um, at UX Australia in five weeks time in, in August. Uh, you'll be talking about the role of assumptions in UX and, and how we can make better use of better assumptions, I think, would be a, a decent way to describe it. Yeah, sounds right. So, yeah, no, thank you. For, it's been great talking. And I'm looking forward to seeing you, if not in person in Australia, then at least online. Thanks very much, Andy. Thanks for your time. Thanks a lot. Bye-bye.